Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you today. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians, continuing this talk about what really matters. And today, we're going to talk about what, like, really matters in our faith and what is the foundation of our faith. So, uh, Pastor David is uh, on uh, some time away with his family, and we want to pray for them to have a great, refreshing time there. And it's my joy to be able to be here with you today. So, thanks for coming out on this summer Sunday. Uh, some years ago, I was uh, standing uh, next to Betsy, my wife, and she was having a conversation with a friend of ours. There was, we had, were at some event, I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was food involved. And one of the ladies who had prepared food there was a good friend of ours named Barbara Price. Some of you may know Barbara. She's an incredible cook. Like anything she fixed, you want to taste it. It's awesome. And so Betsy and she were talking, and Barbara made a statement. And the statement was this, the foundation to any good Southern dish is butter. <laughs> it's the foundation to any good Southern dish. If, if you want it to be good, follow the recipe. If you want it to be really good, add butter. That's what you have to do. So uh, I have learned that, that it's about the butter. You know, dinner's ready is good, is news, excuse me, is news. Dinner's ready and I use butter, that's good news. So butter is like the foundation for a good southern dish. And today we're talking about what is the foundation of our faith? Like what is it? You know, it's called good news. And what is it that makes it good? And Paul, in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he's actually addressing something Pastor David talked about it several weeks ago. The, the people were, uh, they were having conversation about whether you can eat stuff that meat that's sacrificed to idols or not. And he says, you can eat the meat that's sacrificed to idols. You don't have to abide by the code, the moral code that you were raised in, but you have to love people, so don't do it if it's going to hurt somebody. So you don't have to abide by the old code, but there's a Jesus ethic, a kingdom ethic that you do have to follow, and that ethic is love one another the way I loved you. And then he died for us. So we have to love like that. And so Paul's explaining this, and it's almost like in the midst of the passage, he stops for a minute, and he gives the foundation of the faith. He gives the gospel message. He does it in a way that's distinct in that setting for that audience, but he, he reminds them, this is why we do this. And I think it's good for us today to be reminded of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. Why is it important? Why is it that we do it? He was giving the why. And by the way, He's giving them the why to this question that they had, but it's also answering a question that many people have, probably the two most important questions that people have. 
Like, what's the purpose of my life and can I be better at life? And then the next question is, what's going to happen when I die? These are the most important questions. And, and maybe today you're watching or maybe you're here and this is the question that you're asking. Like, what, what is it that's going to happen when I die and how do I make my life better today? And Paul, in his response of the gospel, tells us the answer. So, what is this term, the gospel? This is actually an, an English, an old English word. It was translating a, a, a Greek word. That Greek word is what we get our, the root from what we get the word evangelism from. And they used an old English word that, that meant glad tidings. And, and so, this is a, an old English word that means good news. Not just news. It's not just something I'm going to tell you, but it's something good. It's good news. Uh, the, the gospel has been described, listen to this, as a pool in which a toddler can wade and an elephant can swim. Because it's, it's so simple that even a child can understand it and so profound that the greatest minds can't even comprehend it fully. That's what the gospel is. Children can understand it, and the greatest minds cannot fully comprehend it. Uh, the gospel is not um, advice about what we can do to reach God. It's, it's, it's not a moral code that we have to follow to get to God or be accepted by God. It's not news that God will forgive us one day because that's what He does. What the gospel is, as based on a paraphrase of Tim Keller's way of describing it, the gospel is the news that we are both more sinful than we realize and more love than we hope, both at the same time. Do you know that's who we are? We are more sinful than we realize, and more loved than we ever hoped, both at the same time. And that's what makes it such good news, is that we are so undeserving, and the gospel came to us. It gives us really good news. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for good news. Is anybody else tired of just bad news all the time? It's just a hard time. It's just, it's, there's, it's just ugly. And I don't know, I guess it's getting older. My friends are dying. I mean, for real, like people I love dearly are going to heaven. And it's not bad for them. They're fortunate. It's bad for me. But it's, it's hard being surrounded by death. And, and then you got things like presidential elections that are coming our way for the next year, and I'm so not looking forward to that. All the campaigning and everything that's going to, oh, it's just going to be so ugly and mean, and, and then you just, the whole cancel culture and hate everywhere, it's like, how can I show people how much I hate them, and it just is so ugly. I'm ready for good news. Anybody else ready for good news? Yeah. But to set the stage, Paul starts with reality. Reality is not good news. 
It's mostly bad news. And so here's where he starts. It's chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. And here's what he says. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And probably the quotes were places where they had written him a question or something or questions that they had, but he's quoting it back. And that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or earth, or as indeed there are many gods and many lords. What is he saying here? He's acknowledging the reality. There are idols and gods in this world, lowercase gods. And he's also acknowledging that we are made to worship and to serve. That's what he's saying. Every human being is going to worship and serve. The question is, who and what are you going to worship and serve? That's why we want to provide opportunities for you to serve here, because you're going to have a master that you serve, and it's better to serve things that are tied to God. It's better not to have idols and not make idols for ourselves. We make idols for ourselves a lot. The idol sometimes is us or our success. Sometimes it's politics or habits. Sometimes it's our romances, our sexual activity, our relationships. Sometimes it's power and money, influence, identity. All of these idols or masters that we serve, that we put in the place of God, and we, we, we hide. And sometimes it's even as followers of Jesus. It's not just people who are not following Jesus. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we still have a hard time with, with making sure that God is in that primary place and not everything else that's in our life. And we, it's very important we put God there. We're all more guilty than we realize or want to admit of having idols and masters other than God because we're made to worship. It's part of the way we're made. We are going to worship something and we are going to serve. And then Paul begins the turn. That's, that's the the worst news, the current reality, we're made to worship and serve, and there are masters and, and uh, excuse me, gods and idols for us. And then verse 6, here's where he goes. Yet for us is this little phrase. I love this phrase. You know, we are the yet for us. Do you know that? He's saying, yet for us, this, this idea is he's saying, there's all of these people who are serving idols and gods, and this is the this is the primary way of life. This is the prevalent way. This is what the culture's doing, Paul says. This is what everybody's doing. But not us. We do things differently. Yet for us. You might want to put that sign somewhere. Yet for me. Yet for me. There's a different way for me. Yet for us, he says, there is one God, one Father, from whom all things, excuse me, from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. It's a beautiful verse, and this is basically saying there's something different for us. There's a different way. There's a narrow path. We don't go the way everybody else. Did your moms ever use that little saying, if everybody else jumps off a bridge, are you going to jump off the bridge? Well, apparently, the answer to that question is yes, I'm going to. I'm going to do what everybody else does. That's the way we are, except for jumping off the bridge, I guess. But we have a tendency to follow what everybody's doing. And 
Paul says, no, 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 no. There's a different way. There is another way. There's a better way yet for us. We do things differently. And what is the difference? Jesus actually said this in Matthew 7. Here's what he said. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus is acknowledging, don't take the path everybody else has taken. Take the narrow path. I used to tell my boys when I would drive them to school, we'd be on the, or anytime they were in the car with me, on an interstate and we're getting to an exit, and we're going to take the exit, I'd say, hey, boys, you see the way all the traffic's going this way, and we're taking the exit? That's the way we do life. We don't go the way everybody else is going. Only a few cars taking the exit. That's the way we live. We take the, the different way. Yet for us, there's a different way. And what is that different way? Here's where he, what Paul says. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, the population has a lot of different, the culture has a lot of different gods. They're putting everything in God's place and none of those will satisfy. None of those will be there in the end. And yet for us, we have one God, the Father. That's who we worship. And in this passage, Paul, Paul actually gives two little realities or truths that kind of help us not have other, other gods and not have idols. And here's what he, he, as he describes our God, here's what he says. He says, we have one God from whom all are all things. And what he's saying here, he's reminding us that we are all created in the image of God. You were created in the image of God. Nobody can fully comprehend what it means to be in the image of God. We don't know everything that that means. But we probably know some things, like we are the, the intelligent uh, being on earth. You know, we rule, we have dominance. We also have choice. We have decisions we can make. Those are probably elements of what it means to be made in the image of God. But, but nothing is as profound as being made, created in the image of God. Tiffany was saying it right, that these days people are looking all over the place for their own identity. They're trying to create identities for themselves and, and wanting to be like somebody else or wanting to not be like anybody else, depending on who they are and what season of life they are in. But the truth is our identity is spoken for. Our identity, our primary identity, what we build our self-worth on, what we build our acceptance on is that we are created in the image of God. We bear his image as his creation. Your primary identity has been given to you. You don't have to create it on your own. You are created in the image of God. Any other identity that we seek to establish for ourselves will leave us empty now and separated from God when we die. And having the primary identity as a creation of God is the first place to start in building your relationship with God. That that's where we begin, that my primary identity is I'm a creation of God. He created me, and I'm, I, there's part of me that's in his image. 
And by the way, I want you to pray for me tomorrow at 1 o'clock. I will be speaking at Camp Orlando to all of our high school students at camp, the almost 400 students that are there, on the topic of God's plan for their sexuality. And a part of that talk will be talking about how they establish their identity. And believe me, they're not getting the message uh, that Paul gives to us and that I'm going to give to them anywhere else. This is countercultural. Remember, this is yet for us. This is not what everybody else is saying. This is what God's Word teaches us. This is what the Bible says. This is what Paul was talking to the church about. Yet for us, there is a different way. And I want you to pray for me that I'll have exact words to be able to say to help them understand God's beautiful design for sexuality for them in a biblical way. And I know... I know we have parents that are watching or listening in the room today, uh, parents of teenagers, and maybe your kids aren't involved in student ministry here, and I want to encourage you to get your children in student ministry. You are the parent, and you feed them. You can tell them what they need to do, and you can have them in church and say you need to be there. They're not hearing the message of God's plan for their sexuality or God's plan for their identity anywhere else and they should be in church, and they should be at camp. And so you are the parent. Take responsibility and get your children there. It's very important. I just want to encourage you because our students are hearing the message that God has for them, for the, for the beautiful design that He created and gifted to us. And they're going to hear an age-appropriate version of what they need to hear tomorrow. You pray for me at 1 o'clock. And I learned a couple years ago I did this. It was middle school through high school. I learned in that setting, there's no Q&A. Uh, Q&A doesn't go well and when you got middle schoolers in the room. Uh, on a, uh, don't do it, okay? Just a word to the wise. So the first thing he's saying is you're created in the image of God, but then he, he says something else, and here's what he says again in the same verse. He says, from whom first, and then he says, for whom. And this is a beautiful reality. Paul is, is reminding the Corinthians, and he's in doing so, he's reminding us that God made us for a relationship with him. Did you know God wants a relationship with you? He desires. Sometimes we think, well, this is all on me. I'm the one that wants to have a relationship, and I got to decide if I want a relationship with God or not. And there's some reality to that. But what, what is determined already is that God wants a relationship with you. He really does. He wants, he loves you. He's pursuing you. One passage of scripture even uses the word chasing. He's chasing after you. He desires a relationship with you. Some of you find that hard to believe because most of your life it's not felt that way or people have not told you that. It feels a very foreign idea that that the God of the universe who created you would actually want a relationship with you, but he does. And he loves you so deeply, more deeply than any human being can love you. He loves you and cares for you and knows you. He who knows you best loves you most. Isn't that beautiful? God loves you and he desires a relationship with you. And we have the opportunity to have that relationship. I love the way Henry Nouwen writes it. 
This is God speaking to you. I'm going to invite you to do something just so you're not distracted. I just want you to close your eyes right where you are and listen carefully to what I say. Just meditate on this as I read what Henry Nouwen writes. God speaking about you. I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine. I am yours. You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth, and I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have cared for you in the palms of my hand and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you with the care more intimate than that of a mother for her child. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I go with you. Wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy all your hunger and drink that will quench all of your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own and I know you as my own. You belong to me. I am your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your lover, your spouse, yes, even your child. Wherever you are, I will be. Nothing will ever separate us. You can look this way again. That's, that's how God feels towards each of us. He loves you. He created us for relationship with us. But there's a problem. And the problem is the distance that that we have these gods and idols, and there is but one God and, and one to worship, and the tension between that, like how do we move from the realities of the world to relationship with God that He so desires for us? And here is what I would call the really good news. And the really good news, He says here in verse 6, yet for us, we have one Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we are, excuse me, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Lord Jesus Christ. The terms he uses here, he uses three words Lord, Jesus, and Christ to describe him. The first one is Lord. We have a Lord Jesus Christ. This word Lord means master, it actually can also mean king. Our Lord, we have one Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior and Lord. That's who we worship. And we have, by the way, one King. Requires us to abandon all allegiances and all loyalties that are lesser than Him. Everything is lesser than Jesus. Jesus is primary. We do whatever Jesus tells us to do. I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we forget we have a King. Someone who tells us what to do, we follow his instruction. He's not just a counselor. Sometimes, sometimes I think that we thought we were just including Jesus or inviting Jesus, not following Jesus. And to follow Jesus means to abandon all of our own desires, all of our own wills, all of our, like, I'm going to decide things for myself. No, we don't do that. We don't decide anything for ourselves. We do what Jesus tells us to do. We have a king. I don't know if you're following Jesus, if you knew it when you woke up this morning, but you have a king. A few years ago, Betsy and I went to England, and 
the first place we stopped in London, I don't remember what it was, some church I think that we were going to see, cathedral over there. The Most of them were empty, by the way, but we were there, and, and uh, the tour guide, a British man, he turns to me, looks me square in the eye and said, hey, who was your last king? I go, I don't have a king. Oh, yes, you did. So what are you talking about? He said, yeah, you had a king. King George was your king until you guys tried to get on your own, and then you had to go mess everything up. You know what? He was right. I looked it up. I didn't pay attention to history class, but I looked it up after that. We did have a king. Sometimes I think as believers, we've forgotten we had a king. We have a king, and his name is Jesus. And he is deserving of all of our loyalty, of all of our passion, of all of our gifting, of everything we have, our whole being, he is worthy of it. And we owe him everything. And if it, if it makes you uncomfortable, you're going, I don't know about that. You're not following Jesus. Uh, these days, you know, when I was a youngster, we used a, a lot of times a common word. It's a biblical word. is the word repent. Uh, today in our culture, not a lot of people use that term. A lot of times when I'm talking to somebody who's coming to Jesus for the first time, if I use that word, they don't know what does that mean. They don't know what it means. So the way I have found myself uh, explaining that, I just ask this question. When people say, I want to follow Jesus and I want to receive Jesus and, and experience what you're experiencing or what you're talking about, how do I do that? The way I ask it is, will you do whatever Jesus tells you to do? Whatever that is, will you do whatever Jesus tells you to do? That's a good question to ask ourselves. Well, am I willing to do whatever Jesus tells me to do? That's what it means for him to be king. And we move first from unbelief to belief. But we move from my way to his way. We move from self-serving to denying self. That's what it means for him to be king. Let me remind you, we have a king. And his name is Jesus. And here's what it says about Jesus. Two different phrases again. Through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So that through whom are all things. This is Paul's way of reminding the people that Jesus was with God at the time of creation. Jesus was there. He came here for us and now he is back with God. He is the way to God. He's reminding us Jesus is the way to God. We're on a journey with Jesus to God. We're going somewhere. It's not just this following Jesus isn't just a transaction. Let me go, you know, fill out the form and do the thing. Okay, now we're done. I don't have to deal with it. No, 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 no. Following Jesus, you're on a journey. We're moving somewhere. We're going from here to God. And every day we're moving closer to what it means to be part of God, be with God. We're always moving closer. It's not just a transaction. It's a transformation over time. It's a journey of change and becoming who he wants us to be. And then he says this, through whom we exist. We live through Jesus. We live because of what Jesus does in us. And here's what he is saying, that there's something about this good news message. There's something about the gospel that the more it gets into us, the more we meditate on this, the more we comprehend, the more we realize what Jesus has done for us, because of our gratitude, because of our sense of being overwhelmed, the more it gets into us, the more we become like Jesus. 
And the good news, that, that good news that we are, we are more sinful and condemned than we ever realized and we are more loved and accepted than we hope both at the same time. The more that sinks into us, the more we become the gospel to other people, the more we represent Jesus well. There's something that happens in us, just us coming to understand how scandalous it is what Jesus did for us. Like none of us, nobody here, the best one of you, did not deserve what Jesus has done for us. Not to mention the rest of us. We do not deserve it. And yet he gives us not only better life now, abundant life now, but life in the end as well, eternal life. Augustine said, we, when we make Christ our supreme love, he reorders all our other loves. The gospel gets into us as it does, we become the gospel towards other people. And sometimes I think that we've, we don't think about it enough. Those of us who are following Jesus already, we kind of take it for granted. It becomes familiar territory, like, okay. And today I want you to contemplate for a few minutes what it means that Jesus came and died for us. Let me read to you the way David Platt put the gospel. The gospel is the good news that the just and gracious creator of the universe has looked on hopelessly sinful men and women and sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to bear his judgment against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in his resurrection so that anyone in any nation who turns from their sin and themselves and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord can be forgiven of their sin and reconciled to God for eternity. That is really good news. And it's good news for all of us. And we, we need to contemplate, remember what Jesus has done for us. Jesus paid it all for us. And the more that gets in us, the more we represent Jesus well. The more we represent the gospel. The more gospel in, the more gospel out. Have you thought about lately what it means, what Jesus has done for you? And maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, Danny, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I came because I was invited or I've just been thinking about it. I'm going through a challenge right now and thinking maybe I need to go to church or something could change. And you've just, you have curiosity or questions or I just want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus. Receive the gift that he is giving. and Make this, this tr transition from death to life. Receive what God has for you and live into the full that he has offered to you through Jesus Christ. By doing what we talked about, turning from you. It's free, but it's costly both at the same time. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. But you only receive it by surrendering 100%, giving up, repenting, turning from your way and following Jesus. But is it ever worth it? You're giving up things that don't matter for something that matters more than everything. And let me encourage you to do it today. You can do it with a simple prayer. Just telling Jesus what you want to do. You want to give your life to him and receive the forgiveness that he offers and follow him. Make him Lord of your life. You want him to be Lord Jesus Christ for you. This past year, I've read the autobiography of Bono. Bono's the lead singer and founder of the group U2. 
And uh, I've been fascinated by his life for the last 30 or 40 years and, and his music as well. Bono came to faith as a teenager at camp. Here's what it says. I was at summer camp on the Lynn Peninsula in North Wales. I'd never been away from my family, had never been out of Ireland. I'd never met such religious devotion. Even the football and hockey teams had biblical names. You could be playing for the Ephesians or the Galatians. It was a little mad, but also moving and persuasive. I was taken in by the camaraderie and touched by the preaching. I was first up when there was an altar call, the come to Jesus moment, and I still am. If I was in a cafe right now and someone said, stand up if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I'd be the first to my feet. I took Jesus with me everywhere, and I still do. Let me tell you something. Today, for some of you, for the very first time, I want to say to you, you want to give your life to Jesus? You want to receive Jesus and everything that He's offered to you? Maybe you'd be the first to stand. After our service today, I'm going to be standing right down here. Come tell me. Man, I've given my life to Jesus, and I want to follow Him. I'd love to celebrate with you. Or you're online today, you can text the word CONNECT. There's information that you can follow through on. But let me remind you also, all of us have to choose. That's part of being created in God's image. We don't fully understand it, but you do have the option to choose, and, and delaying is choosing. And you can choose for yourself if you want to be with God or not. He's designed us and, and wants us in relationship with Him, but He doesn't force you. He doesn't force any of us, and you have the option to choose. When Jesus was alive and walking on the earth, He talked to people about that choice, and He said, if you, if you don't want to be with God and you choose not to be part of the kingdom of Jesus, part of my kingdom, He said, what, where you're going to be is away from God forever. And then He pointed to the landfill that's on the south side of Jerusalem, on a big incline there. He said, you see that landfill where the garbage is, where there's a stench and the fire never goes out? That's what it's like to be separated from God for eternity. And there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a horrible existence, like living and existing in a landfill. That's what it's like. But you can choose it if you want it. Why would anybody choose that? When we've got the good news of Jesus that he's paid the price for us and given us eternal life. And believers, I want to remind you, we have a king. And let's be focused on what the king wants us to do all the time because that's where we find the greatest joy. That's where we find the greatest fulfillment. It's doing what Jesus tells us to do. We don't have a will. Our will is his will doing whatever Jesus tells us to do. It's a great show Betsy and I watched over the last, I don't know, couple years. It's called The Crown. There's a very poignant scene depicted in The Crown where uh, Princess Elizabeth is in Kenya on a state trip there. 
and her dad, who was king at the time, a different King George, but King George dies while she's in Kenya, and she's the heir to the throne. So she is now Queen Elizabeth, and she gets on her plane and comes back to England. And she's on the plane there and preparing for a completely changed life when she comes back to England, now being the Queen of England in 1952. And she's on the plane, and her grandmother comes on the plane to speak to her. And it's her dad who died. It's his mom, uh, Mary, who comes on the plane to talk to Elizabeth. And she says to Elizabeth, there are now two Elizabeths. There's the Elizabeth, the person, the person you were before your dad died and before you came, became queen, and the new Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth. And those two Elizabeths will often be in conflict with each other. And the crown must win, must always win. I heard that line, man, it resonated with me. I don't answer to Queen Elizabeth, but I answer to a king, and so do you if you're a follower of Jesus. And I want to remind you today, the crown must win, must always win, because we serve a king. And as that gospel gets into us, we'll become the gospel to others. Let's pray together. In ways, God, that words and music can't, would you anchor this gospel deep in our hearts so that we can represent the gospel well where we live, work, and play? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you back next week and have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.